the board as an agent of change. In this podcast, we shall explore the role of the board in helping organizations respond to the workplace disruption as revealed and accelerated by the pandemic and other shocks. Why now? Well, the war for talent has become the top business issue. And in response, many business leaders are reviewing their overall business model and employee value proposition. Handling this challenge successfully requires strong leadership from both the executive team and the board. The board's role as custodians of the business brand, reputation and organizational culture is key to this process. The board has, according to my partner in this podcast, a real opportunity to be a powerful agent of change. I'm delighted to talk with Dennis Wolf, who has extensive experience in serving on boards of public and private organizations. Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. We have created an innovative board evaluation platform clients can access and use as part of a fully facilitated external board evaluation or for their internal evaluation. Large professional service firms are also welcome to use our platform. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Dennis, thank you so much for making time and contribute to the Better Bots podcast series. It's good to have you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to your listeners today. Fantastic. Let's jump straight in. What motivated you to take on the co-chair role of leaders as change agents? Well, I've always been keen in diversity and inclusion work and tried to use those principles in my various executive roles. But in the last 10 years or so, I've been involved in a more formal way. I was a member of the board of the UK government-sponsored Women's Business Council and now co-chair of the Leaders as Change Agents board. And that's really given me the opportunity to work with some fabulous people and act as a change agent myself. And you've done quite some extensive research in the area now, which uh, is all put together in a specific framework, which we will allude to in this podcast. Yes, I think one of the things I would observe over the last decade or so that I've been involved in a more formal way is that earlier on in that period of time, it was the activities of ours and many groups were, were really about bringing attention to the issue and the need for change. And whilst that's still important and many groups are still raising awareness, in the Leaders as Change Agents, we felt that there was a time, particularly post-pandemic, when a lot of change has been accelerated and changes to business models and technology advances have accelerated. We felt it was a time to put together some research and a framework as to how to make those changes effectively and share best practice rather than just call for change. You almost mentioned it in between the lines, but why do you think boards should focus on this really now that we are coming out of the pandemic? Why is it so important? Well, because I think many businesses now, uh, not because I say so, but because it's an imperative, are reviewing their business models and their employee value proposition mm -hmm. at this time, and they're being driven to do that. 
by changes that have been revealed by the pandemic and changes in market forces. So we're not asking businesses to do anything which they're probably not doing anyway. I think what we're drawing attention to, and that's why we've produced our research and framework, is to ask them that, that they've got an opportunity to improve diversity and inclusion and fairness in the workplace in the course of that review by mm -hmm. taking into account the eight principles that we've developed from our research into best practice within the guide. The all-important question, how can the board become an agent of change? Well, the board's role, of course, usually is to oversee the business, custodians of the business, if you like, on behalf of the shareholders and the broader stakeholders. Obviously, it's the executive's team's role to run the business day to day and to present policies and strategies and investments to the board. So I think the board's role is to support the executive team and to you know, provoke them to take these principles into account when the executive team are presenting their proposals for responding to the various challenges that we've already discussed. And obviously the board, if it arms itself with relevant information and experience, can support the executive team and, if appropriate, challenge the executive team more effectively as they bring these proposals to the board. You already alluded to these eight principles, and we certainly talked about it in the preparation for this podcast. For the benefit of our listeners, can you please mention these eight principles? Yes. So the first thing that we say as a result of our work is that each business is different, a different geography, different scale, different industry, different ownership structure. So certainly we're not putting forward a one-size-fits-all for, for all businesses. That would be yeah, impossible and inappropriate. So instead, what we've said is that there's eight foundational principles which executive teams and boards may wish to take into account when developing their own plans that are appropriate for their businesses. And those principles are drawn from the best practice and the research that we have found in the course of our work. So just to mention each one briefly, the first one is empowerment of, and choice. So it's about giving employees an appropriate voice and to enable them to feel connected to the business which, of course, it will be key to their commitment and, and their sort of support. Uh, secondly, is to have diversity, equity and inclusion as a sort of foundation of the workplace culture in the business so that everybody that works there feel that they are welcome and included and can prosper within the organisation. Thirdly, growth and development is that everybody wishes to progress in their jobs and being given mm -hmm. opportunities to develop their skills and experience. And again, provoking employers to look at all of their workers, whether they're factory workers, work from home, driving vans or whatever they do, to really ask themselves as to whether they have an appropriate growth and development policy and support which touches everybody in the business. Fourth is commitment and engagement. Now, obviously, engagement is a big thing. It's getting the views of employees through various forums. For example, employee surveys is one and to engage them as appropriate in certain decisions that, that affect them. Participation and decisions, as I've just mentioned, is mm -hmm. also key to that feeling involved. Work-life balance will play out differently in different organisations, but to a certain extent, you know, work at the different roles within the business to ensure that people's work-life balance is respected and they don't feel on call, whether it's email or 
texting at all hours of the day and night, seven days a week. Uh, that, that's important to people's well-being and gives them the ability to recharge and be more effective as they return to the place of work. And the seventh one is fairness. And in a fairness, I would promote as being both sides. Employers to understand that they need to be fair to their employees in terms of the employee value proposition which they offer. But also employees, of course, need to be fair to their employer and to perform the tasks that they've been engaged and paid to perform. So it's really a point about understanding and fairness on both sides. And then the final point is about recognition and reward, which isn't just about pay, but obviously pay is an element of it. But to make sure that employees are recognised and rewarded for the contribution that they make in whatever capacity that they make it. Not very helpful, then. Thank you so much. In the blog from the podcast, we will certainly also refer to the website so that our listeners can follow up on it. Now, how important is good quality data in all of this to support policymaking, investments and activity? I think this is absolutely key because in terms of management investment from all angles, whether it's you know financial investment, time of management, engagement with employees, and also commercial pressures, there's only really one opportunity in a cycle of a business to get this right. And there's lots of anecdotal evidence, you know, claims and points of view out there as to what individual businesses should do. So I think having good quality empirical data to support policies and investments and practices is key. You know, some of that data will come from within the business around engagement with employees, both formal and informal, things like staff surveys and other ways in which employers and employees can engage together to make sure that the policies and investments are made on a sound foundation. But also some of it comes from external sources. So there's plenty of information out there on best practice and pay and condition surveys, looking at what your competitors are doing and other businesses that you would, that individuals would measure themselves against to try and help the board get a sense that the proposals being put forward by the executive are appropriate to the business, but also sit well within the broader commercial and societal comparison, which the board also have as a duty to make sure that the business is measured appropriately against. Now, you know, I heard so many things about board packs uh, when we do these board evaluations. They are too large, not the right information. How do you see this point? Whose role is it to get the appropriate data into the boardroom? So I would say in the first instance, it's the job of the executive team to demonstrate that they've assembled and consulted appropriate data in coming up with the proposals that they are submitting to the board. I think the board's role is to question what data has been included and then to make a judgment as to whether or not that data is of sufficient quality and quantity to underpin the decisions which the board is being asked to make. So I'm not suggesting that the raw data is presented to the board and a board are required to wade through it, simply that the board ensures that the executive team have consulted appropriate good quality data in presenting the proposals which they are being presented with. And if the board feels that that's not the case, then perhaps to ask the executive team to look at that issue again. And what do you think are the expectations of external stakeholders, such as governments, regulators, shareholders, and how do you expect this to evolve? 
Well, I think certainly that's accelerated. I think that's one of the things which has accelerated as a consequence of the pandemic, although in many areas it was well advanced prior to that. I think the precise nature of the response might depend upon which industry a business operates within and which jurisdictions, which geographies and so on. But taking a general point, I would say that governments and regulators, particularly in the listed environment and regulated industries such as banking and financial services, are taking a more interest in workplace culture and are expecting organizations that they regulate to take these principles into account and to try and deliver a fair and inclusive workplace culture. And I see that as continuing. I think employees and their groups also have higher expectations that their employer will deliver a fair employee value proposition. And as I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, it's commonly talked about the great resignation of the war for talent, which is currently carrying on. I think what, what will happen is that employers who don't do this well will find that they're a competitive disadvantage for key people who are increasingly willing to move to employees who they believe give them a better offering where they can thrive. So I only see these things as increasing and accelerating. And I think that I would encourage boards to look at these issues carefully, not only from the fairness and inclusivity point of view, but also as a source of competitive advantage. No, fantastic. Sadly, we have to come to an end. What would be the top three points you would like our listeners to take away from this podcast? I think firstly, I would say that it's never been more important to try and address these challenges as it is right now for the reasons that we've discussed. And I think this is very firmly a leadership issue. I think it requires a strong and consistent leadership response. I think secondly, getting this right, as I've just said, is can be a key source of competitive advantage for individual businesses. And it goes into the heart of the strategy and culture of the business. And obviously, the board have a pivotal role to play in driving and overseeing this change. Lastly, I would say that there's an opportunity for business leaders to influence their broader networks by supporting these principles and encouraging others to do so, in a way, being active change agents themselves. Fantastic, Dennis. Thank you so, so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. And thank you to everybody for listening. How can we help you and your board? We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. You can best reach us at info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>